Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Well, good morning once again. For those of you I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Becca. I'm a co-pastor here with my husband, Dave. And as he said, we are starting a new sermon series that will carry us through uh, to the beginning of summer. Hard to believe we have almost made it through another school year program year together. Uh, We've got some good things in store as we head in that direction. As I was thinking about uh, this sermon and this series, I uh, had the fortunate experience kind of come back to mind of last week, uh, Eleanor and I got to go to Naperville North and see their production of Mean Girls. Did anybody see that musical there at North? Has anyone seen the movie? Has somebody been in the musical? (laughs) If you need uh, autographs later, Isabel is here. But we were going, we went to see Isabel. I had seen the movie already, and and Eleanor hadn't. We saw the musical. At one point, she leans over. She was like, this is a little too real, because it is. If you haven't seen the musical or the movie, it's actually based on a sociological study of teenagers, particularly teenage girls, and the kind of social stratification system that gets set up in middle school and high school. And in the movie and in the musical, they introduce us to this social stratification system by means of a tour through the high school cafeteria. And if anybody who's ever been to high school or middle school knows, the, the, the cafeteria is its own kind of ecosystem, right? In the cafeteria, it matters where you sit. It matters who you sit with. And at least in my middle school and high school, there was one table in particular that we all knew about, and that was the cool kids table, right? They have different names in different circumstances. You know, they're the, the cool kids, they're the populars, and different people made up that group in different settings. You know, maybe it was the varsity athletes, Maybe it's the cheerleaders, maybe it's the people who serve on student body, or the the guys with the coolest cars, the girls with the cutest clothes. Whoever it was, we all knew who the cool kids were. And if, at least for me, in my context, if we were really honest with ourselves, we knew who they were, and we really wished we were one of them. We really wanted to sit with them at the cool kids' table. And where I sat in my high school, I'll be very clear, was not the cool kids table. I sat at the theater kids table. I thought it was cool, but it was miles and miles away from what could have been considered actually the cool kids table. It existed in middle school and high school in a literal sense, but in a figurative sense, the cool kids table, it still kind of exists now. It's amazing, even as adults, how we set up these barriers, these imaginary ropes that section us off one from another. You're either at the cool kids table or you're not. You're either in or you're out. As a lot of us spend a lot of time feeling like We're just standing on the other side of those ropes, looking in at a table, at a people, at a life much cooler than our own. Well, if you can remember this far, back in September, we started out our ministry year year together with a sermon series we called Better Together. 
You know, we recognize that three years almost had gone by where we were living life literally separated from each other, having to social distance from each other, and we weren't quite sure how to find our way back. And so starting out this year together, we wanted to lift up the importance of face-to-face relationships, of engaging in proximate community with one another. And, and throughout the year, we've been doing that more and more. You know, May 1st marks nine months that Dave and I have been here at Knox, and it's really wonderful. Even nine months in, we keep meeting new people. We meet literally new people as there are more and more people kind of coming and visiting and checking out and joining Knox for the first time. But we're also meeting old new people, And by that, I mean people like Knox isn't new to you. It's new to us. And so you're coming, maybe you've been away for a little while, whether it's because of the pandemic or, you know, just the ways that we're kind of trying to figure out life again post-pandemic. There's been a lot of folks who kind of hadn't come back yet, but you're starting to. And so while you're old to Knox, you're new to us. And it's been this wonderful experience of seeing more and more people coming back and engaging in community together. So we're here, we're better together. But in a sense, we're also here. Like we're just still standing on the outside. That we see that there's this table and there's people at it and they seem to be having a good time all together. But we don't really necessarily feel like we're fully in, fully on the inside at the cool kids table. So that's what this sermon series is about. Starting today and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at stories from Jesus and stories from the early church in which Jesus invites some of the most unlikely people to find their place at the table, at his table. See, Jesus lived out this radical notion that maybe, just maybe, there wasn't this division between cool and not cool kids. Maybe that's not the way things had to be. So Jesus, in his life and in his ministry, he came in and he took down the rope. And he said, that's, we're not doing that anymore. There is no more cool kids table in his life and in his ministry and in the ministry that followed after his resurrection and ascension, this is what the church did. Jesus invited everyone to find their place at the table. And as it turns out, everyone, that includes you and me. So for the next five weeks, that's what we're gonna do. We are going to take down the rope, cross over the line to the cool kid's side and all sit down at this table with Jesus. So it starts today looking at a story from the Gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible or a Bible app and you want to turn there with me, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27. As you find your way in your Bibles there, let's pray together. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus who invites us to come to find life and grace and hope in him. And we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that makes Jesus' life and words come alive for us today. So we pray that these words that we read 
and this message that I proclaim might be by the power of your Holy Spirit, your living word for us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke tells us, he says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collection station. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come, or I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So as we said, we're going to take the next five weeks to talk about this very wide cast of characters that all get invited to Jesus' table. But today, we're going to focus on the fact that we are one of those unlikely cast of characters. We get invited to sit at Jesus' table. And so as Jesus invites us to find our place at his table, I see kind of four movements at play. Jesus sees us, he stands us up, he sits down with us, and he sends us out. So inviting us to his table, the first thing Jesus does is he sees us. That's what happens in this story. In verse 27, it says that Jesus went out and saw Levi. The Greek word there, it implies more than just a surface level seeing, though. The Greek word that's used there is that Jesus didn't just see Levi, but he saw into Levi. He, he saw him for who he really was. There's some things we know about Levi. It's things you could see on the surface. The number one thing we know that Luke's make, Luke makes very clear about Levi is that he's a tax collector. And there's something we all need to know about tax collectors. You know, we all know the Bible uses the word sinners. You know, we know what sinners are. Sinners are, are, you know, not who you want to be. Sinners are bad. Sinners aren't good. They're they're not doing the things they're supposed to do. So there's there's sinners. There's like really good people. There's sinners. And then there's tax collectors. Like, sinners, they're bad. We don't want to go there. But like, you really, like, sinner, sinner is like way down here. That's a tax collector. Tax collectors were bad people. They were Jews who worked for Rome. They were traitors to their own people. They would station themselves at at ports and hubs and bridges where people could not avoid them. Their own people could not avoid them. And they would collect taxes for the imperial power, Rome. They would take those taxes from their own people. Oh, and a little bit on the side for themselves as well. So as far as most other Israelite people were concerned, tax collectors were greedy, dishonest, low-down, scum of the earth, traitors who could only hang out with other tax collectors because sinners didn't want to be seen with them. Tax collectors were bad. They were so bad that when those Pharisees showed up at Levi's house, it was no accident that why, they were asking Jesus, why are you hanging out with those sinners and Tax collectors, the two couldn't go together. You didn't want to sully the name of a sinner by calling them a tax collector. They were different. 
So when Jesus looked at Levi, he saw that he was a tax collector. He saw that Levi was a sinner. But I imagine that Jesus also saw something more. Jesus saw something deeper. When Jesus looked at Levi, he didn't just see him, he saw into him. Jesus saw something in this rejected, reviled man that no one else could see, something waiting to be released. You know, Jesus doesn't just see into Levi. Jesus sees into you, too. Jesus sees you. Yes, he sees your sin. Jesus sees all our sin. We hide it pretty well from each other. You know, we come to church in our nice, shiny church clothes, put on our nice, shiny church faces, and we can hide it from each other, but Jesus isn't fooled by that. He sees our sin. He sees all the things that we have said or done that we shouldn't have. He sees all the things that we should have said and should have done, but didn't. Jesus sees our sin, but he also sees so much more than that. Jesus sees into your heart. He sees into my heart, and he sees all that's going on in there. He sees the, the hurts and the hopes, the leanings and the longings. Jesus saw in Levi, and he sees in each one of us something that is just waiting to be released, something that, that will be and can be unleashed from our hearts the moment Jesus calls out our name. And so that is exactly what he does. Jesus sees us, and then he stands us up. It happened to Levi immediately. Jesus saw him sitting in that tax booth and he said, follow me. And immediately Levi got up and left everything and followed him. The moment Jesus called out to him, Levi stands up and starts walking toward a whole new life. For some people, that's how it happens. They encounter Jesus, they experience his grace, they say yes to his love, and everything changes immediately. This is a real and true experience of following Jesus. Real and true, but not exclusive. For some people, it takes more time. No two experiences with Jesus are the same. Some are immediately instantaneous, dramatic, and some are slower more of a process than a moment. There is no such thing as a cookie-cutter conversion to Jesus. However, there is one common thread running through all of it. For every single one of us, when we hear and respond to the invitation to find our place at Jesus' table, he stands us up. For Levi, that was literal. He, he stood up from the tax booth, from the place where he was extorting people, cheating people, hurting people. He stood up and he walked away. For some of you, that's how Jesus has worked in your life. Your life has changed. You, you hear the words of the, the hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And you know what they're talking about. You have stood up from things that were making you blind. You have walked away from a life that was making you lost. Jesus stood you up and your life has taken a 180 degree turn and you are so thankful. 
But for some of us, the process has been more gradual. As you take steps toward following Jesus, slowly over time, your heart begins to change. You notice yourself wanting to do life differently. You discover that the behaviors that you might have taken pleasure in before, behaviors that may have been hurtful to you or to others, you just don't want to do them so much anymore. Or you find the things that, you know, before you had no interest in that are good for your soul, good for others, you want to do them more. You find yourself, gosh, I want to go to church. I want to read my Bible. I want to love my neighbor, even the one that's kind of hard to love. Over time, you discover that you're just living your life differently because Jesus stood you up. Here's the point. Here's a really, really important point. Thing I want you to walk away with. How you are called by Jesus, what form that takes in your life, for each and every one of you, that will be different. How you are called by Jesus, that's going to be different. That you are called by Jesus, there is that, there is real significant change in your life because of it, that will always be the same. Because when Jesus invites us to his table, he stands us up. But that's not all he does. He sees us, he stands us up, and then Jesus sits down with us. And this is where Jesus gets himself into trouble. See, Luke tells us that after Levi stood up, he said yes to Jesus' invitation. The first thing he did is throw a big old dinner party. And well, because Levi is this tax collector and he doesn't have any other friends other than tax collectors and a few sinners who are willing to hang out with him, that's the only people he has to invite to this party. So they're all there, and Jesus comes and sits down with them. Jesus shared a meal with them. To understand how scandalous this was, we need to understand the roles that meals played in that culture. In first century Palestinian Judaism, the class system was enforced rigorously. It was legally forbidden to mingle with sinners who were outside the law. Sitting down to a meal with beggars, tax collectors, prostitutes, as Jesus did. This was a religious, social, and cultural taboo. In that time, in that culture, to share a meal with somebody, well, that was to to offer them your friendship, to offer them your forgiveness, to offer them your life. So you can kind of understand a little bit why the religious leaders of the day weren't so thrilled that Jesus was doing this. Think about it this way. Those of us who are parents may have said this. Uh, Those of us who have parents have probably heard this. Uh, If as a kid you start hanging out with somebody that your, your, you know, parents aren't that thrilled about, right? Like you make friends with somebody or you start dating somebody that your parents are like, "Mm, no, I don't love them, right? The parents often will say a phrase like, I just, I don't think they're a good influence on you. Has anybody ever heard this phrase? Has anybody ever said this phrase? <laughs> right? Because like by, by themselves, like if there's a kid out there who's like not that great, whatever, you're like, not my kid, not my problem. Until they start hanging out with your kid, right? Because then it is your problem. You don't want them to have an influence on your kid because that's just a psychological and social reality. We often become like the people we spend our time with. So take that idea as a parent, you're like, I don't want them to have a bad influence on you. Take that and like multiply it by a thousand. That's how the religious leaders are feeling about Jesus sitting down at this table 
with sinners. And this idea didn't come from them. There were written down Jewish laws that strictly dictated who you could and could not associate with. They believed if you spent time with a sinner, with a person who was quote unquote unclean, you yourself became unclean. If a person who lived within the bounds of this moral, ethical, legal, religious code, if if you're inside the bounds and you come into contact with somebody outside the bounds, then well, you're outside with them. And it takes a whole lot of work to get yourself back in. If ever there were ropes, dividing lines, dividing us, separating one group from another, it was then. The religious leaders of that day, they were the cool kids. They were sitting down at that table and ain't nobody else was coming in. But then here comes Jesus. And he takes down the ropes. In his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brendan Manning describes it this way. He said it would be impossible to overestimate the impact these meals must have had on the poor and sinners. By accepting them as friends and equals, Jesus had taken away their shame and humiliation and guilt. By showing them that they mattered to him as people, he gave them a sense of dignity and released them from their old captivity. The physical contact he must have had with them at the table must have made them feel clean and acceptable. They were now acceptable to God. Their sinfulness, ignorance, and uncleanness had been overlooked and were no longer being held against them. Their sinfulness, ignorance, and uncleanness, the things that should have kept them away from God were no longer being held against them and they are no longer being held against you. It may not be Voices of Pharisees telling you you're not worthy to cross over that rope to sit down at that table with Jesus, but we think it all the same. All of us have reasons for thinking that Jesus would never want to sit down with us, or, or if he did, the only reason he would would be because we had worked very hard to earn it, to be good enough, to be clean enough, to be worthy enough for Jesus to want to sit down with us. Be very, very clear here. You are invited to sit down at this table with Jesus just as you are. There is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. No amount of spiritual calisthenics, no no amount of knowledge gained from Bible studies or seminaries or divinity schools, no amount of crusading around for righteous causes. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. No amount of racism or pride or pornography or adultery or even murder. God already loves us as much as an infinite God can. So let's be clear. If you are still unsure, if you are invited to this table, please hear this. The question which the gospel of grace puts to us is simply this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What are you afraid of? 
Are you afraid that weakness could separate you from the love of Christ? It can't. Are you afraid that your inadequacies could separate you from the love of Christ? They can't. Are you afraid that your inner poverty could separate you from the love of Christ? It can't. Difficult marriage, loneliness, anxiety over the future, they can't. Negative self-image, it can't. Economic hardship, racial prejudice, crime, they can't. Rejection by loved ones or suffering of loved ones, they can't. Persecution by authorities or going to jail, it can't. Nuclear war, it can't. Mistakes, failures, uncertainty, they can't. The gospel of grace calls out, nothing can separate us from the love of God made visible in Jesus Christ our Lord. No matter what you think, no matter what you've done, no matter where you have been, the ropes are down for you. Jesus invites you to sit at the table with him. In his grace, Jesus sees us. He stands us up and then he sits down with us. And one very, very brief final thing, but this is what we're gonna talk about for a lot of weeks to come. The last thing Jesus does is he sends us out. See, notice Levi didn't just have a little one-on-one dinner with Jesus. He didn't have just his solo relationship with Jesus and leave it at that. No, he invited everybody he knew to come sit down with Jesus with him. Because there's something that happens when we sit down with Jesus. When we experience the love of God found through the grace of Jesus Christ, we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to tell people about it. We know that that rope is down and that Jesus wants more and more and more people sitting down at that table together with him. So that's what we're gonna talk about for these next few weeks. That's what we're gonna do for these next few weeks. We're gonna sit down at tables with meals with one another and we're gonna sit down at this table with Jesus. Find your place at the table. Jesus has taken down the rope. You are invited. So come. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Spotify.